<laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, I'm Alex. And I'm Brandon. Hey, Brandon, you remember when both of America's two major political parties liked democracy? <laughs> Do you remember Polly Sci? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, hey, Pavarotti. Brandon, what's up? La, la, la. It is Christmas. It is literally Christmas. What are you doing here on this podcast with me right now, Brandon? What are you doing? Merry Christmas, baby. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, you have to work because you actually I work. I know. I have to work. Yeah, I, I, I work. So we had I to do, do it work. early. It's true. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, and we had to. We had to do it early. And we're we're not gonna let we're not gonna let the the momentum slow down. We're not gonna drop the ball. We're not gonna take our eyes off the prize. We're not gonna lose the fish on the hook. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna we're just not gonna keep let going. the worms squirm out of the can. <laughs> We're not gonna let the tuna leak out of the boat. We're not gonna let the crab bite through the net and escape back into the ocean. That'd be silly. We're not gonna let the Santa escape back up the chimney. How do we you are like not that? gonna let the ostrich pull its head back out of the ground <laughs> and find its shadow. Wow, this got really weird really quick. Yes, you it know, did. it's it's another episode of Remember Poli Sci. We are Alex and Brandon. We are brothers. We are hanging out. We really we do this for the joy. We really do. I mean, I think that's the basic bottom line you should know about this podcast. But we also do it because we like discussing politics. And we've got some meaty, juicy topics that we want to get into today. But first, we want to get into news. You can use. Yeah. Well, I was totally not ready for that. But... I know. I sprung it on you like a like <laughs> a like spring a chicken. It was All a trap. Terrible analogies. Um, a spring chicken. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I have to make an aside. So, I, okay, I got to make fun of Joe Biden a little bit. And I just think that this is very interesting. Oh. Before we get into news, you can use. Look, I want to be fair. And I'm supposed to be the more center left. I'm Maybe even a right. I am definitely not right. But, okay, so Joe Biden, you know, one of the reasons he has not been elected president uh, previously <laughs> is because he was not running against Donald Trump. But it was also because, remember, he was the king of gaffes. And it was, like, unbelievable. It was, like, yeah. unthinkable that someone like Joe Biden, who always is like, you know, messing up his his he's got these phrases and he mixes things together and things don't come out right. And sometimes he sounds awkward. It was like unthinkable before. But then we had Donald Trump for president. Right. And then everyone's so, like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, nobody cares. So, OK, I just have to laugh because Fox News had this huge article up about, uh, you know, this flub that Joe Biden made some reporter oh from Fox God. News. Yeah, it's just like uh, I mean, they basically ignore like literal criminality that Donald Trump is engaging in and then cover it up. And then, you know, Joe Biden makes this small little flub and they, of course, have to like dig right into him. But uh, so what it was was. What it was was uh, Fox News, <laughs> a reporter from Fox News had asked Joe Biden about this Hunter Biden thing, which, of course, they want to talk about, you know, and Joe Biden was visibly like annoyed by it. And he kind of laughed and he was like, oh, God, love you. You're you're really a one horse pony, aren't you? That's what he said. You're a one horse pony. And of course, what he meant was what he you know what he meant. What did he mean? Brandon? A one you know? trick pony. Yeah, I do like one... the I like the one horse pony, though. I think that's pretty funny. No, but it's a it's a mixture between, you know, a one trick pony and a one horse town. Right. It's a mix between those two things. I don't care, but it's just like hilarious that Fox News had this giant spread on it. And then you scroll down to the bottom and the comments are just like, this proves that he's totally insane. This proves that he's he's obviously unfit to be president. And I'm just like, what the hell have you guys ever heard Donald Trump give a speech? Like, have you ever been to one of his rallies and heard the things that he says? It's anyway. amazing. It's just incredible that if like 
literally what some of this has come down to. It doesn't matter what anyone does. If they're on your team, anything they do is infallible. And the person on the other team, no matter what they do, it's wrong. And actually, just another little quick hit. That's right. That's Mitch right. McConnell said as much, I think, today to some wealthy Republican donors. What he promised them in the next legislative session was it does not matter what Democrats bring to him, what Joe Biden might ask for, even if it is a good idea, McConnell said he will deny absolutely anything that comes from Democrats. That's literally where our politics are at. It's not about the substance of what people do, what people say. It literally matters what team you are on. That's where we're at right now. That's so awful. Okay, so and again, before we get to news you can use, because, you know, we we did the intro for it already, and I don't want to forget that it's hanging out there. But what about this argument that, you know, Joe Biden is this like he's he's this old school politician. He's worked in the Senate a long time. He's chums with these guys. He takes them out. He knows all the like fancy bars and restaurants that these D.C. folk like to go to. All he's got to do is like get around the table with Mitch McConnell, have a drink or two. And like he's going to be able to soften him up and he's going to be the guy who's going to be able to work with these people. What do you think about that argument? Do you think there's any truth to that? I think there's some truth to that. I don't know no, if it's good. Well, I don't think it's going to mean that he will be able to get all these magical things done. I think that Republicans will be obstructionist for the foreseeable future. I don't think that's going to change. But yeah, I do think that relationships matter. I think it matters in a way that you'll see a difference between someone like Joe Biden and Honestly, Barack Obama, like the uh, the only thing with that, though, is that it's not 2008. It's 2020. That Congress is more obstructionist than it ever has been. But if you were to have somebody like Barack Obama, who didn't have a ton of experience, who's only in the Senate for a couple of years before he was elected president, I do think that you'd see a difference. I do think those relationships matter. I, I think it actually does matter at least a little bit. Yes. I hope so. I mean, I it's just, I just feel like Democrats keep getting pulled further and further to the center and further and further to the right because we're always trying to be nice. Like we're always like, oh, we'll work with you. We'll see where you're at. And Mitch McConnell just comes right out and like, you know, a week well, me, after he finally congratulates Joe Biden. Let me say it this way, though. It's not just about trying to be nice. It's like I think Biden knows where the bodies are buried in a way that Obama probably didn't. So, I mean, hmm. literally, like, I think that may be part of it. I think that Biden may have some pull that, again, somebody like maybe Barack Obama or someone say, like, if it were Amy Klobuchar, who ended up being the nominee or somebody else wouldn't have. And I think that does matter a little bit, like as much and, as and, Joe by, and by where the bodies are buried. You mean Mitch McConnell's original body before he inhabited a ghost or what are you talking about? Uh, yeah, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what I mean. Okay, no, I, I think I, I think that there are uh, Joe Biden does want to put on this facade of like, oh, like I want everyone to get together and play nice and we should be turning the page. And those are all the things he should be saying. But I do think that he knows how to pull strings in a way that some people don't know. And I think that that, that will, in the end, I think that will matter a little bit. Yes. Uh, I mean, it's, it's funny as much as I want to like have this full on launch into, you know, a progressive idealistic politics. I also find myself like curiously just wishing for some sort of return to like normalcy. And I just, I don't know what I want. I just want Donald Trump to be gone. That's all I want. Like right now, that's enough of a Christmas a, present for me. That's a good that's first enough. step. Yeah. And yeah. actually let's, I mean, do you want to go to the news you can use now? Yeah, news you, you so let's just do it really calm and really quiet. Okay. News you can use. Okay, very good. Mm. Okay. So 
I did this day by day. I just tried to try to check in with what was happening on a given day and just to spend, you know, 20 second reactions. We don't need to go on and on on any Dude, of these. This was like a whiplash week, though. I mean, it was like unbelievable. Um, you know, right. Democrats, Republicans have been trying to get together on some sort of a, you know, covid relief bill for months and months and months. And finally it happened. And then a bunch of other stuff happened. And now it's in question. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. And we're going to actually go through the chronology of that as it happened this week. But I wanted to excellent. Hit really quick first on Monday outgoing actually he's now gone the the um, Department of Justice director Bill Barr and oh, noted Barr. Trump sycophant he noted. said he noted Trump <laughs> we've, sycophant we've noted that you're a Trump sycophant Bill he's Barr he's not just like a secret sycophant he's like out in the open kissing his ass uh, Bill uh, he Barr, loves, I mean, Bill Barr loves executive power. He's written he's written multiple articles about how, you know, sacred he believes executive power is. It's it, it's not just Donald Trump. He, he has some sort of weird obsession with the power of the presidency. He does. Right. Yeah, he definitely does. And he also said kind of on his way out the door that he saw no reason to create special counsels either to investigate Hunter Biden or you know, these alleged election fraud cases that Trump keeps whining about. Um, Barr said that he would name a special counsel to oversee such inquiries if he felt one was warranted. But he said, quote, I haven't and I'm not going to. End quote. He added he saw no basis for the federal government to seize voting machines. And because he said those things, <sighs> Trump and his team have now turned on Barr for his refusing to continue to entertain Trump's various delusions. Jenna Barr, who is a lawyer for the Trump campaign, tweeted, quote, maybe you should sit down now, Bill. You certainly did enough sitting down on your job, end quote. And I wanted to ask you, Alex, as Trump's circle of people who are willing to support a coup, as that circle of people shrinks, does it make sense that the people who remain are comparatively more out of touch with reality and just crazier? Is that something we can expect to see happen as time goes on? Well, Trump has kind of like self-selected those people to be surrounding him, right? One thing I want to note is the reason Bill Barr said those things in public is because you know for a fact that Donald Trump asked him to do those things, and he said no, and he said no because there's no legal basis for this, and Bill Barr, as much of a Trump sycophant as he is, is enough of a lawyer to look at the Justice Department as a functioning branch of the government whose job is to enforce the law whose job is not to create headlines for Donald Trump to attempt a coup, right? I mean, he, he that's <laughs> Bill Barr knows where the line is and he knows how to walk up to it and not go a step further. That was what he was doing. Exactly. I mean, the things that Donald Trump is asking for are things straight off an 8chan website, like from Q, like whispered from QAnon in the night. That's the kind of stuff that Donald Trump is looking for from Bill Barr, and he's not going to do it. Um, the it president be... of the United States is literally taking the dregs of the dregs of the deepest Internet forums and repeating them on the world's largest platform. That is what he is doing. That's absolutely what he's doing. I mean, that's what he's been doing the whole time. That's where he's drawn his power from. He's a demagogue, right? He he's the guy who figured out how to activate really honestly a group of disenfranchised voters. You may or may not agree with their policies, Brandon, and their particular point of view. <laughs> I'm going to guess that you don't. But he found a way to touch those people and activate those people where, you know, 
John McCain wasn't able to get them out there. Mitt Romney wasn't able to get them out there. You know, there's something that Donald Trump brings to the paper or brings to the table. And I think it's probably called racism. <laughs> I mean, yeah, honestly, no, that's it, it's, it's actually funny. I, we talked a little bit earlier about how politics in general is moving towards rejecting anything your opponent says, even if you agree with it. And kind of to your point right there about, you know, that. I probably don't agree with much of what Trump does. One thing that I do agree with Trump on, and I'm willing to say it, is on Tuesday, Trump came right out and he said it. He said that for COVID relief, people should not be getting $600 checks. They should be getting $2,000 a piece. I think it's funny that Trump waits until Congress has reached an agreement on this before he tweets about it. There's obviously some intentionality there, right? And like right away, you saw Nancy Pelosi, AOC, Chuck Schumer, even Lindsey Graham, they all came out and said, okay, yeah, let's do the $2,000 checks. Uh, and I just think like, it's, I don't know if you agree with me, but I think Trump did that literally after the Senate and the House had agreed on something, after Democrats and Republicans had agreed on something. He waited until after that, literally to kind of stick it to Mitch McConnell for, again, not entertaining his various delusions. I just think that's really Maybe. Funny. I have a little bit darker view of why Trump chose that timing, and it has to do with your next point, your next bullet point, which is Trump pardons horrible people. I honestly think, think about this, honestly, think about this for a minute. Donald Trump is an absolute master of manipulating headlines and the media. As, as some commentators say, he is the ultimate content editor, right? He He's the guy who decides what you're going to talk about, you know, from morning to night. He and he's losing that power. He's losing that grip to some degree, which is part of the reason you see him railing in, against Fox News because they're not following his headlines anymore. Right. They've started to kind of wander off trying to find out which conservatives they're going to follow after Trump is gone. They're sort of accepting that reality. But, you know, I, I'm not so super convinced that Trump thinks this is actually going to result in $2,000 checks for individuals, $4,000 checks for couples being cut to Americans. I'm, I'm I not either, super convinced of I'm that. That's what I'm saying, though. I think it's honestly, I think it's literally to jam up Mitch McConnell and Republicans. I mean, just to tie a bow on this topic and not to go in perfectly chronological order, but House Republicans a couple days later yesterday said, we're not doing those $2,000 checks. They needed unanimous consent in order to do it right away, which means every single person would have needed to vote for it. They didn't have the votes to do that. You almost never do for literally anything. But then right. today, Nancy Pelosi said the Democrats will vote on a standalone bill for those $2,000 checks on Monday. I agree that Trump isn't asking for this because it's something he believes in. It's not something he's doing because he wants to help people. That's not why. I literally think it's as simple as he wanted Mitch McConnell to continue supporting him in his delusion to try to overturn the results of a democratically run election. And Mitch McConnell, you know, recently said, look, I congratulate Joe Biden. Trump is mad at Mitch McConnell. I think it's literally that simple. And I did want to like with these runoffs happening in Georgia, do you think that this schism between what Trump is saying publicly and what now Republicans are willing to do? Do you think that that's going to affect the fate of Kelly Leffler and David Perdue, the Republicans running for Senate down in Georgia in their election coming up in early January? Oh, absolutely. This schism is having a huge impact on them. I mean, there's there's no doubt about it. I was just I, you know, from time to time, I do check out Trump's Twitter just because it is one of the most crazy places on the Internet right now. It's quite the it, trip. It is so. No, it's like it, it cannot be lost on me that the president of the United States the of literal America president. 
not not president. some dude you know in his basement he is tweeting from the oval office golden toilet or wherever the hell his favorite place to tweet is and and his one of his most recent tweets he was complaining that no these senators are not standing up for me mitch mcconnell i was there for him i will not forget it says in all caps at the bottom i mean this is awful for the republican party and don't forget you had you know l lynn wood and Sidney powell running around georgia peddling their conspiracy theories about voting machines which i want to get back into that because there's some interesting things going on there but and and the republican party writ large was saying will you guys please stop talking about this you're making our voters feel like they don't want to vote because i think at one point Sidney powell actually said you guys should not vote until we get this figured out like because you know she's just riffing it's like it's like a preacher it's like a fire and brimstone preacher up there in the pulpit she just gets going right she feels the energy she feels the juices flowing well literally republicans (laughs) republicans are are finally having to face what it feels like to rectify the things that trump thinks the things that trump supporters think right having to rectify that with reality and it turns out that they're not congruent they don't mesh well together because trump doesn't operate in reality his supporters don't operate in reality and i do think it to me the most amazing thing, it's just taken this long to see right. this kind of a disagreement bubble up. It's not surprising to me. It's surprising to me it's taken this long. Can I can I just quote um, Peter Tosh here that um, you, you can fool some people sometimes, but you can't fool all the people all the time. <laughs> I mean, that's don't it's, you feel that way? <laughs> yeah. No, I think that that's completely true. And like. So I, I don't know. It's just all of this is is odd and weird. I had one more item on the news you can use section, which was wait, wait, wait. I want to reverse. I want to reverse just a tiny rap, little bit. Yeah, let's, let's go. Okay, back to Monday, December twenty first, when Bill Barr is leaving. Now, do you know much about Bill Barr's replacement? I don't. No. Okay, it's really interesting. I so one one fear that I had with when I heard Bill Barr was stepping down. I don't know about you, but I'm sure some of our listeners too are thinking, "Oh crap!" You know, it, every time the it's gonna be someone in, worse. Yeah, every time the in quote adult in the room leaves the Trump administration, like how many times has this happened now? You're like, "Oh crap, he's leaving." Oh no, they're leaving. Like, okay, so Bill Barr is kind of an adult in the room. Weirdly, I mean, he he does have some morals. So I, you know, you're really worried about who is Trump going to put in there and what kind of crap. Are they're going to try and pull. So Bill Barr's replacement is going to be Deputy Attorney General Jeffrey Rosen. And he's pretty much chill is, is what I, I was doing a little research on him. He's chill. It's going to be all right. I mean, I think if Trump was planning some crazy coup mechanics in there, this isn't the guy you would really want to have in place. So I, I don't think and that's the other thing about Bill, the Bill Barr, you know, whether he stepped down or whether he was fired, it's kind of unclear exactly what was going on there. It's just sort of interesting the dynamic i mean he's he's leaving with like a month to go clearly trump was unhappy with his performance because he wouldn't do his bidding so i mean i i guess i i feel it was probably some sort of mutually agreed upon you know separation for bill barr to leave but but what i wanted to throw out there is i am not particularly concerned about his replacement and i don't think you're gonna see you know special counsels for hunter biden or voting machines being you know taken out of out of gymnasiums right before the uh the runoff voting in georgia or anything like that. I think it, I think it's just basically Trump wanted Bill Barr gone because he wanted to punish him for not doing what he said. I think that's all it is. Yeah, I think it's that simple. I, I think it's that simple. It's that transactional. I, I appreciate that you use that word. I think in a previous, maybe last episode, that Trump is just a very 
in some ways predictable, you know, his, his unpredictability is predictable. He's a very transactional figure. What's in it for me? What do I get from it? Oh, you betrayed me. Now you're on my shit list. It's really that simple for like, a oh, lot totally. Of stuff. That's, that's, that's we, completely his MO. And which we, is if we have time, oh, go ahead. oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I was going to say, if we have time, we might talk a little bit more about that in my history section regarding Roy Cohn. But anyway, what were you going to say? Professor Goldner, I do <laughs> declare. Well, it's I, a perfect, like his, Trump being transactional is a perfect transition to talking about some of the pardons that he made this week, the worst oh, of which came on Jesus Wednesday. Jesus Christ. I mean, so, I mean it includes, let's, okay, wait, 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 wait. You know, you use this term, set the table, right? Like, I love how you always say that, you know, set the table. I know. Let's, yeah. let's set the table on what a presidential pardon even is okay a presidential pardon what it, it is built into the constitution and from my understanding of it the the sort of words that were used the sort of theory the legal theory behind it was there should be a way to in quotes inject mercy into the legal system right sometimes people you know the the punishments that they are given down by it when they go through trial they're not particularly fair or maybe the person's really ill now and they really shouldn't have to finish out their sentence but there should be some mechanism whereby, you know, the justice system has a little bit of play, a little bit of plasticity, right? That was the whole point of the presidential pardon. Right. Now, we, sh we should also say, you know, Donald Trump is not the first president to ever do a sketchy pardon, right? There's been plenty of weird, sketchy pardons. I'm looking at you, Bill Clinton. You know, Bill Clinton pardoned his brother for some for some offenses. Did you know that? Yeah, it's that's not great. Not, that's not cool. I mean, that's not cool. I mean, oftentimes, these pardons are used on people who were you know, maybe wrongly, uh, wrongly convicted or, or more harshly convicted than they should be. Um, like so Obama, I, Obama pardoned a number of people who were, had been in prison for, you know, drug related offenses, things like that. Yeah. And I, and you know, I, I remember reading cause I've, I enjoy reading right-wing media and they, the right-wing media exploded about Obama's pardons. Like if you could go they back, explode about fucking anything though, man. Well, well I know, but I just, I, I have this sort of like, I think, I think it's just this historical running tally in my head of, of, because I, you know, I don't know how you've known me for a long time, but I, I do not like hypocrisy. You know that about me, right? I hate hypocrisy. You know that. Yeah. And, and it just, it pisses me off. It makes me extremely angry. I also hate corruption. And so just it must to really see... piss you off that I'm a corrupt hypocrite then. <laughs> <laughs> makes me even madder that I'm one. Oh. Um, oh yeah, that's how it goes. Um, <laughs> so, so anyway, I, it always seem to go. sorry, going, going back into the history of this, you know, the right wing media has been pretty much silent on Trump's pardons. And I'm assuming you want to get into some of them now and we could talk about a few. Yeah, I did want to talk about a couple of them. It, it, you know, again, Trump being a transactional person, he pardoned Roger Stone. He was someone uh. who never cooperated in Mueller's campaign uh, in his investigation, ra rather, after lying to Congress to protect Trump, right? He also pardoned Paul Manafort, who was Trump's previous campaign manager, probably did that as a reward for Manafort's help undermining the Mueller investigation. So that's just gross. Again, transactional. He pardoned Jared Kushner's dad. Uh, yes. Wait, let's get into that. Before we get into yes. that, though, he also <laughs> pardoned. He also pardoned George Papadopoulos. 
who was basically one of the camp the campaign aides with Trump, who was deeply involved in the Mueller investigation. Um, and so it seems like the majority of his pardons were sort of geared towards folks who had in one way or another been entangled with Trump in the Mueller investigation and the people who really paid the price for for Trump's impropriety, we'll say. People um, who and were then, like deeply corrupt in trying to help Trump, basically. Yeah, they covered they covered for Trump. And, and you know, however he did it, I, I mean, he didn't write it down. He didn't write an email. But, you know, Trump will give you a smile and a wink and a nod and say, like, hey, everything's going to be OK. Don't forget, I'm president. I got that pardon power. But Jared Kushner's dad has nothing to do with anything other than he happens to be Jared Kushner's dad. <laughs> and Jared Kushner is the husband of Donald Trump's daughter, Ivanka Trump. And also is employed at the White House as one of Trump's main advisors, which and also again could not get security clearance and like yet. Yes. Yet did get security clearance because did Trump somehow anyway. You're right. Well, Trump was able to override it. I mean, that's what it was. It was this basically whole like I, fucking White House is so insane. I mean, I know it's just, awful. Can you imagine if like if, if Barack Obama had been trying to get security clearance for like one of his daughters and they couldn't get it because they were enmeshed in all of these foreign entanglements? Or how about then, how about how about like. I'm trying to get Sasha and Malia on the National Security Council. Now, I know that they're 12 and 14 years old. However, I would like them to be there and be there. They will. You know, like if he had done that, imagine, just imagine. Uh, yeah, Fox News wouldn't have been happy with that. No, uh, not at all. So so Jared Kushner's dad is pardoned. And I'm sure that Jared Kushner is very happy about that. And I'm sure his dad is as well. So he also pardoned a couple of former Congress folk who were accused of cam of misusing campaign funds. Mm, that's interesting. Do you think mm. there's any any chance that Donald Trump himself might be accused of misusing campaign funds later? Do you think there's any possibility <laughs> of that? <laughs> these fundraising emails that are going out right now, like you'll get a 10 <laughs> times match. We have to, you know, I mean, just geez. I know. And apparently the fine prints of those, of those campaign emails basically say the first $5,000 of this just goes to Trump's private PAC, his private political action committee. And the rest of the money then goes to our legal defense. So if you've given Trump more than $5,000, good work. You finally contributed to, I guess, Sidney Powell. <laughs> I don't know. Oh man. It's just, yeah, it's wild. okay. So the worst of these pardons, the worst of the worst, in my opinion, you know what I'm going to say? You know what I'm going to say? Yeah. Yeah. The Blackwater Guards. Now, you know, Blackwater is this for profit, private, militaristic organization. They're basically military contractor. Yeah. It's a, I hate that term, though. I want something that makes it sound sort of like polite. I, I want to call them mercenaries. They're guns for hire. I mean, I, think I that's just fair. I think that's honestly I, uh, fair. I think this is an awful thing. Why? Why did we ever start doing this? Well, like, I don't understand the reasoning behind this. It's just awful. So so you have companies profiting on this and putting these people out there with God knows what training. I mean, I think it's awful. And Wait, representing are, you, are you questioning why America has a for profit military industrial complex that they have been building and pumping for literally since before we were even born? Like this is literally just one yes. mutation <laughs> of a country that's literally built on off of trying to make money on foreign interference. That's Damn. as simple as you can put it. Oh, that was good, Brandon. Holy crap. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and it's, and it's, 
just absolutely aggravating that these people are supposedly doing work in my name with my taxpayer dollars like that is not I do not agree with this situation at all. So these four Blackwater guards, Nicholas Slatton, Paul Slow, Evan Liberty, got to love that one, Evan Liberty and Dustin Hurd, they were convicted by a federal jury uh, and there were some 30 witnesses that traveled from Iraq to testify against them. They were accused and then convicted of illegally unleashing, quote, powerful sniper fire machine guns and grenade launchers on innocent men, women and children. Does that sound like something that would be a good thing to pardon if if you're if you care about the United States standing in the world as far as, you know, being a beacon of hope and a beacon of civility, a beacon of of law abiding order? Does do those sound like good people to pardon, Brandon? No, they quite literally executed civilians in Baghdad. Uh, Imagine you were going to Fred Meyer with your children and someone rolled up and shot your children. That's the equivalent. Yeah, uh, and so yeah, they rolled they rolled up to this place called Nuzor Square Traffic Circle in Baghdad and they just started shooting 17 people. Now, their defense was that they had become they had come under attack, but you know, 30 witnesses says that that wasn't the case. They just began opening fire. And it's not like they were I mean, they were firing grenade launchers and machine guns. I mean, they were going all out. There are uh, and there are disgusting. A lot, there are a lot of stories that that, you know, from people who've been convicted and also people who haven't when they're in foreign countries. I mean, you give people who are, you know, no other way to put it, who are mentally ill, you give them power, authority, weapons, you take away any meaningful oversight and they have a God complex and they're evil and they literally just want to harm people, kill people, you know, exercise their power over people. That's literally what this is an example of. And it's something that happens much more than we hear about than ever hears the light of day. And all of the work you said at the beginning, all of the work that went into convicting these individuals, right? This is not someone swipes a pen and they were wrongfully convicted without any due diligence. Like these went to juries. Like this was a complex, like the legal system worked. And for what reason I can't understand you know, these are the kinds of people that Trump likes to associate with, period. And I, this is not defensible. That's if exactly that's yeah. exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. So another another couple of folks that he pardoned are couple two of bor- folks. Bar- two, I'm trying to be charitable here. Two, two. Border they're, they're, pat- they are. They're, they're humans. They are humans as far as we can tell. So, yes. Two. two Border Patrol agents who received 11 and 12 year prison sentences for a 2006 shooting of an unarmed immigrant who was fleeing back across the Rio Grande and their prison sentences had already been shortened and reduced through a commutation by George W. Bush. And so Trump, of course, these are his favorite people, right? Like they're protecting the border and killing these awful, you know, criminals that are coming across the border. This unarmed person trying to flee away from them. Uh, I mean, it sends a signal when the most powerful person in the country says that acting with impunity against individuals who are unarmed and acting violently and murdering people, that's okay. We're just going to go ahead and erase whatever, you know, whatever a jury and a judge and that whole legal process that you just went through, whatever they saw fit, we're just going to delete that. We're just going to erase that because we don't really care about those people. Basically, you're saying you don't care about the rights of that type of person. That's the issue here. And that's why it makes me so angry. 
Yeah, it should make any thinking person angry. Whether you support Trump or not, doesn't matter. You should be upset about this. It's terrible. Yep, I'm upset. Man. So <laughs> let's, I mean, it's hard to pivot away from something that's so dour and serious. Um, I'm glad we got to talk about it, though, because it is serious. But I did want to talk a little bit about well, how- oh, I want one other thing. Yes, I, I want to hear what you're about to say. But do you think the pardons are done? I mean, seriously, do you think no, they're not in done. any reality? Of course they're not done. The, the best is yet to come. I can't wait for. OK, I'm going to I'm going to predict it right here. Jared Kushner, Ivanka Trump, Eric Trump, Eric Don Jr., the president himself. I mean, it's coming. You know, it's coming. How is it not coming? Definitely coming. Yeah, there's yep. no question about that. There you go. OK, I'm done. That's good. No, I, I wanted to pivot a little bit to, you know, Joe Biden as he keeps building his team. Uh, it's funny. You had mentioned before that you had lost some of your notes. You had added his Google Doc. And actually, I noticed now that I've lost some of mine as well, which is kind of a bummer, but I'll do my best here. He has appointed Dr. Miguel Cardona as the Secretary of Education. You may know that the current Secretary of Education is Betsy DeVos. Oh, my God. Uh, Dr. Cardona, he is an advocate for public schools. He is currently Connecticut's education commissioner. He also was a principal for a decade. He was among the youngest principals in the state of Connecticut. So he's qualified. He actually cares about students. He actually cares about public education. He's actually been in public education. So this is huge. What I had lost in my notes were the specific policies that Betsy DeVos appointed by Trump during her tenure as secretary of education, some of the policies that she has pursued, she's most well known for trying to advocate for private schools, for defunding public schools and, you know, school choice, right? Like this concept, basically that if you're wealthy, you should have better education. If you're not as fortunate, you shouldn't, which is antithetical to the American dream, right? Like the American dream, what does it mean to you? Like, I get that the concept of the American dream and the reality of how it works in practice will never be the same thing, right? Like the, the things that you aspire to do not always and, and almost never happen the way you want them to, right? But the, the point is that if you work hard, you put your head down and you put your nose to the grindstone and you really just give it your all that you can advance through society, that is the American dream, and someone like Dr. Card Cardona will bring that to public education in a way that Betsy DeVos hasn't. So I think that that's actually a very, very good thing. So I don't know if you had any other comments on that. But oh I just yeah, to I have a, I have many comments about Betsy DeVos. Let me let me tell you the thing that I think the policies that make me the most irate regarding her. So you know that there's these for-profit universities, right? They're 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 schools, I suppose. But the the purpose for these schools. These these universities is really to turn a profit. And one of the ways that they do so is by preying on, you know, military veterans who come out of the military with GI Bill money and the ability to pursue an education. And there is a collection of these for profit universities that prey on these folks. It basically get them involved in these super expensive programs that don't lead to any sort of real world world skills or jobs or any really ability to move forward. And Betsy DeVos has gone out of her way to protect these organizations that are just absolutely preying on veterans and preying right. on, you know, that reliable source of money that they bring in with the GI Bill. I mean, Betsy DeVos, just like everyone in Trump's cabinet, they're billionaires. They're people who see America as a piggy bank, as an ATM machine that they can, you know, slide their debit card in and out of as fast as they can, get as much money as they can take the heist and run. I mean, Betsy DeVos is just another example of that. So I'm looking forward to someone who has, who sees the education system as 
just that, you know, a system to provide information and skills and training that will help move people forward. It's not it should the primary focus of education should not be profitability. It just absolutely shouldn't be, Correct. especially when it comes to veterans. So, yeah, good riddance to you, Betsy DeVos. I'm done with you. <laughs> this wasn't the only move that Biden made as it relates to education. He also made an announcement, I believe it was today, via Twitter, uh, which is the current president's, uh, the outgoing president's favorite mode of communicating with people. But Biden said that he believes that community college and public colleges and universities ought to be tuition-free for families earning less than $125,000 a year. That's huge. That's huge. And I think about someone like myself who went to school a little bit later. So by the time I went to Oregon State University, I was claiming myself as a dependent and I was working. Where was I working at that point? I like an American Dream Pizza or something, right? So I was making much, much less than $125,000 a year. I now have, you know, 30000 ish in student loan debt from my four-year degree, even though I took two of those years at community college. So that's my story. For somebody like like me, what Biden's describing would mean I would have zero dollars of student debt. That would be massive. The only thing that's a little bit disappointing as it relates to kind of student debt and education is that Biden has said that he's only open to wiping away $10,000 of people's current debt, even though there are experts and other legislators that want him to go further and who believe he legally can go further via executive order. So I wanted to ask your opinion. What do you think either about this plan of making public universities tuition free for families that make less than 125k and wiping away about $10,000 $10, worth of student debt how does that hit you i think we're we're moving in the right direction when we open access to education but i want to know a little bit more about where that money is actually going to come from oh and you want to know a little bit more about it huh yeah, yeah. classic just you just want to delay delay bureaucrat <laughs> answer you don't want this to happen alex you want people to be saddled with debt don't you <laughs> absolutely not but but seriously when when you look at i mean i i heard your story and i'm sympathetic to you not just because you're my brother but i i understand you know i i also was uh rather saddled with debt when i got out of school so when i got out of pa school you know i i carried about $70,000 worth of debt. And I actually paid it off in a very novel way. And so I think that possibly, you know, the experiences that I've had, just like all of us sort of color how I think about how we should address student loans and, and student debt. But what I ended up doing was I, I worked in a really rural area and I was a, I worked on the National Health Service Corps. And so this is a government, it's a federal program that essentially will pay off your student loans in return for service in an underserved area. So that's what I did. Um, it was not the easiest job. It was a very rewarding job. I gained a lot from getting out of my comfort zone and, you know, living in an entirely new community. Um, but, and it, it was difficult. And honestly, I, I probably would not have found myself in the rural location that I worked in were it not for this federal program. So, well, let me push I'm, back on that a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure, please. So I, I, what you're describing to me is that there was some incentive for you to stay in that community and give your service to a community that really needed it. There was right. some incentive that that made it appealing for you to do that where you otherwise wouldn't have. Right. What is also true is that since you've moved back to Oregon, there are lots of reasons why you wanted to do that, right? We don't need to go into those, but my point is that you had competing interests that led you to stay in that community for a little while. 
The thing I'd push back on is this. There ought to be incentives for people to serve those underserved communities and to serve in rural areas. There absolutely ought to be incentives. You could have incentives like a higher salary. You could have incentives like a federally funded public pension, for example. You could have any number of incentives. But what I don't think we should be doing is saying you will have a chain of debt hanging around your neck. And the only way for you to get rid of that, or one of the only ways is for you to do X, Y, Z. I think that those things are worthwhile and there ought to be incentives, but it shouldn't be the incentive is that you don't have debt. I don't think that that's fair to the people who do take on debt and couldn't make the choice that you made. Well, yeah, let me, let me back up a little bit too. So I, my, most of my debt, in fact, all of my debt was from master's level education. I think that we should try to subsidize a four-year education for all Americans. That's, I mean, that's my personal belief. But again, I want to know where that money is actually going to come from. And I also, I, I think uh, there the should be- military, rich people, like there are- <laughs> Yeah, I know, I'm just saying- do this. No, I want to, I just want to know where it's going to come from. Yeah, I know, I know lots of other countries do it, but lots of other countries too don't have possibly the open access to education that we have. You know, I think there's, there's entrance exams in other countries that if you don't perform well on these entrance exams early on, it's kind of difficult for you to turn course. And part of what I like about our system is that we have a lot of flexibility, right? So, I mean, yes, I, I do. I agree. I think that a four year degree, or at least if let's start with community college, how do you feel about that if the first step was everybody who wants to can pursue a two-year education at community college for free uh, how would you feel about starting there with the idea of increasing that to a four-year degree eventually what do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's a great first step. But I guess my point is that we have an incoming president who says he's willing to go further than that right now. And I'm saying, yes, I'm on board with that. You know, there's a saying that there as a local city commissioner here, Commissioner Hardesty, she often says that a budget is a moral document. And what she means by that is the choices that we make about what to fund and what not to fund says something about the things that we care about and says something about us as individuals and us as a collective. So in my I view, agree. I, I totally agree. Right. Yeah. So I, I mean, get, I, I know we were supposed to, to we were supposed to argue about this, but I totally agree. <laughs> no, I but my, and my point is that I believe and there are many ways in which we could reallocate funding from certain things to other things. There's more than enough money to pay for people to get a four year education more than enough. You just think about the one simple thing. Just look at people like Jeff Bezos, people like Bill Gates. They hey, know how much they've increased their wealth during this pandemic. Billionaires have made billions while people are literally losing their jobs, literally losing their health care. It does not have to be this way, right? So I think that, yeah, so just to say, I appreciate that Joe Biden has said this. And to your point, yes, I think community college absolutely should be tuition free for anybody who wants to attend with no cap on how much their family may earn. I mean, there's a whole nother conversation. Maybe someday we should talk about your feelings on universal basic income. I haven't done you know enough <laughs> note taking research to talk about that right now. But well, we um, can I've actually reached out to uh, Andrew Yang and he's going to be on the show next oh, week. So, OK, yeah, is he I heard he may be running for mayor of New York, which is odd I love considering it. I he love lives it. in L.A., though. I, mean, I love it. 
love it. He can move to New York. He's great. I, I love him. I'm part of the Yang game, man. I'm totally down. I, I really like his MO. I like his style. He's down to earth. He's plain languaged. I mean, he's the type of politician that I really like to see move forward. Um, just just another quick thing, you know, going back to, to discussion about education and where the money's supposed to come from. Um, so when you're looking at a setting up your country, right, you want to have as broad a <laughs> when middle class. you're putting class. the pieces on the settler of Catan board. <laughs> You want to have, have as broad, as broad a middle class as you possibly can. In fact, two thirds of the GDP in the United States comes from consumer spending, right? That's huge. And that is that's lifting all, you know, rising tide lifts all ships. This is the reason why people on the left and people on the right should care about education. Now, I, I wanted to bring this up because, you know, I, my part of my role in this podcast is to try and like play conservative for you since I study it so much. So like one of the things I often read on conservative media is like, oh, yeah, the Democrats just want to give everything away. I don't want to pay my money for someone to go, you know, study drama or study music. We don't need any more like poli sci majors. I mean, how do you feel? How, how do you respond do to that even criticism? Poli sci? <laughs> I know I put that in there on purpose. <laughs> how do you feel about like so if the government is paying for your education, does that mean that the government should be able to decide what you study? Or is it like carte blanche where I can study like, you know, medieval architecture or something that might not necessarily directly. Lead? I mean, I'm, I, I believe in education broadly, but that sort of study may not lead directly to a job, right? A role in society. So how would you feel? about the federal government, you know, putting some either limits on what people can study or giving some direction or something like that in return for ponying up the cash for them to actually study. Well, it's somewhat of a balance. It goes back to my point, though, about there are ways you can incentivize the things that you have identified that you need structurally in society. There are ways you can incentivize that. So you're that, talking about me. I mean, that's what they do for medical providers, right? Exactly. Yeah, and we need. Yeah, we, I wanted to mention, in addition to the loan repayment, you know, in a rural area, there was this rural health tax credit where if you lived rural, you paid no state taxes. So, I mean, they are doing things like that. Yeah, anyway, which is, I, and I think that that's smart, right? And they, those things should adjust and change over time. I think that fundamentally though in this country we have a very warped sense of what people should have access to and we call them entitlements right the fact right. that we call things that we pay into as taxpayers the fact that we call those entitlements is very odd to me and to your point yeah, instead of services, right? They should just be called government services. Right. These are things that, you know, the population writ large have all ponied up. You all put $10 in the pot and all of a sudden you have enough money to build a great road, right? That's it's as simple as that. It's there's nothing evil about, you know, collectivism in that regard. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't uh, impede your freedom in all regards just because you're trying to get a project done together when when it comes to whatever society decides they want to work together on. Right. And maybe education is one of those things that we need to decide, you know, just like fire departments, just like police departments. We really need to invest in education because people are being left behind in this country. That's the bottom line. I mean, it, the folks that are really struggling right now economically in general, they're folks without a college degree. I mean, that's just the truth. Yeah, it's I mean, the more education you have access to, the greater chance you have of basically what of having options of what you want to do with your life. Right. Like that's right. so much of this comes down to in the 21st century, given how much wealth we have, 
given where technology is, shouldn't people have more options? Shouldn't the common, and we do mostly, right? Like the standard of living, people's life expectancy, you know, you could make arguments and I think good ones about how that is actually getting slightly worse comparatively to generations past, which is terrifying. But look, we're not in a place where, you know, you have to be, you know, hundreds of years ago, you have to be working very, very hard and have very, very little like, Technology, again, has gotten to the point where people can live quite comfortably, and that's a great thing, right? They, like you said, like a rising tide should lift all ships. And again, if we ever talk in more depth about universal basic income and the philosophies of politicians like Andrew Yang, he is a, you know, a technocrat who is looking very carefully at like, well— Automation is getting to the point where should people even have jobs, which is a scary thing to talk about. And again, it's philosophical. It kind of cuts to the heart of, you know, what is my purpose on earth? It gets really deep really quick. But basically, people should be relatively comfortable. There's no excuse for them not to be. So I saw a picture of Andrew Yang. This is like the most like low level um, <laughs> comment I could possibly make about him. But he had, you know, a lot of politicians have little buttons, like little American flags on their lapel. He had one that said math. And I was just like, dude, yeah. I love that guy. Like, I love that guy. That's that's exactly what I love to see. Just and it's, do it your way, Andrew. And again, like I, I would love like there are things about the way he thinks that I really agree with and things that I don't agree with. There, Some of his views are very you know, technocratic libertarian, it would be one yeah, way to put it, which true. I don't agree yeah. with some of those things, but at any rate, yeah. Well, so, I mean, we've, we've eaten up most of our bullet points here and I did this little deep dive into history. I guess I'm sort of the one who likes to dive into history lessons on this show for whatever reason. I just get obsessed about trying to find context for like current events and trying to understand like, how the hell did we get here? And I ended up going down the rabbit hole on this guy, Roy Cohn. Do you know who Roy Cohn is? I don't. No, dude, this is going to blow. So, I mean, this we could spend hours on this, but I'm going to give you like the short the short version if you want to. And what I labeled this section was you want to know Donald Trump meet Roy Cohn. OK, so let's <laughs> let's go way back. This this is a guy who was active in the rising wave of anti-communism. Remember when Republicans hated communism <laughs> and <laughs> Russia and all that? Remember okay. well, those I guess, days. I guess they still hate communism or at least they say they do. But so Roy Cohn is a very intelligent, very unscrupulous, I would say evil lawyer who sort of made his he, he threw his hat in the ring, graduating from Columbia Law School at the age of 21 or at the age of 20. He was too young to take the bar, so he had to hang out for like a year. He had a really interesting upbringing with this like doting mother and this really cold father, kind of a weird upbringing, like most of these evil people, you know, his family wasn't great. And he sort of burst onto the national scene by prosecuting Julius and Ethel Rosenberg. Do you know about them, the Rosenbergs? Yeah, a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, basically they were they were accused and convicted of spying for Russia, you know, transmitting information regarding the the atom bomb, nuclear nuclear technology. What was really kind of gross about this? And you know, at the time, it was a big deal. There were, you know, marches in the streets trying to protect these folks, not from being found guilty, but from being put to death, because that is something that had not been done. You know, that a spy had been put to death. Um, and that's exactly what Roy Cohn was trying to push for. And it was 
wasn't just for Julius, who was really the one transmitting the information. There was really thin evidence that Ethel Rosenberg was actually even involved, but he pushed for them both to be put to death and he was successful. And he sort of burst onto the national stage that way. He was just, he, he had been unscrupulous his whole life. There were stories that he had gotten a teacher out of a traffic ticket at the age of 15 by like contacting the court or contacting the judge. And he just had the silver tongue. He was able to get people out of things. He was able to just make things happen. So this guy, Roy Cohn, you know, he 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 started with that Julius and Ethel Rosenberg trial and he rose again in onto the national stage by being the chief counsel at the age of like 26 or 27 of Senator Joseph McCarthy. You know who that is, right? Oh, for sure. Okay, so most of us, you know, we think of McCarthyism. We think of like you know, maybe the original demagogue of our time, right? This guy who would accuse literally anyone and everyone of being a communist and attempt to corner you, right? No, it was like really awful. You know, people, people's careers were destroyed by this guy. These, these folks had absolutely no shame about going after political enemies and calling them communists. And, you know, and in those days, maybe you had, you know, participated in a group in college where you had looked at this and they would bring that up. You know, they would, they would go after you for literally anything. And and this was really capturing the American public. So this is where the story gets really, really interesting. So you may know McCarthyism like, you know, it finally failed at one point. And you you may have heard um, this senator who finally called out McCarthy and said, like, have you no shame? At long last, have you no sense of decency, sir? It was Senator Welsh. Do you know that sentence? Have you ever heard that phrase? Yeah, I've heard it before. So and 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 I didn't know what context this actually came down in. So basically, Roy Cohn was really in love with this this other guy, uh, David Shine. And obviously, at those days in the 1950s, that was absolutely, you know, no one talked about homosexuality in public. It was it was not something you could talk about. Roy Cohn went so far as to have these committees, you know, searching out homosexuals and bringing people up and, you know, yelling at them. And it, it was it was one of those uh, methinks thou doth protest too much sort of situations. But but David Shine was this, you know, good looking guy the square jaw and the blonde hair. And Roy Cohn was just like head over heels in love with this guy. Basically, they hung out all the time. And David Shine was basically drafted by the military. And Roy Cohn did what Roy Cohn does and went and tried to like pull strings and, you know, talk to people and talk to people at the the army. And, you know, you know, you can't do this. We're on this committee with with McCarthy. And, you know, David Shine is super important. And that ended up resulting in these army McCarthy hearings. So it was this whole hearing regarding the relationship between, you know, um, Roy Cohn and David Shine and the subterfuge of it. It was sort of the original, um, the original sort of like reality TV. And like, I looked at some, some images and some video from that time. It was like the first time that you'd had TV cameras in this public setting and like sets of groups of people sort of yelling at each other and trying to belittle each other. One of the famous lines was one of the senators accused McCarthy of hanging out with pixies, you know, which is like a thinly, a thinly veiled, uh, uh, 
attack basically a on royal. Slur. It, it's a homophobic slur exactly and and the response to it was you know well will you please define a pixie and and then the response to that was well it's a little bit like a fairy and like the whole the whole crowd just like bursts out laughing this was like capturing the american attention and this subterfuge of of sort of um anti-communism and and roy Cohn being at the center of it this finally led to the downfall of mccarthyism and that that's where that have you no sense of decency sir at long last have you no sense of decency sort of came out of these trials when senator joseph mccarthy tried to like pull out these you know anti-communist arguments and throw them at the army which finally that that caused him to fail so you know from his inception roy Cohn was like just involved in like the sort of demagogic you know demagoguery the the dirty side of politics the name calling the unscrupulous like i'll go anywhere i'll say anything to try and win i i read some quotes from him he said you know i don't like convention i don't care what the law is i want to know who the judge is. There's only one result in my business winning. I enjoy a good fight. When you hire me, you're buying scare factor. Is that there sounds any very politician? familiar? <laughs> yeah. Who does it sound like? Sound, sounds like Trump. It sounds like sounds Republicans, like Trump. right? Like it sounds, literally sounds like Trump. So I, I guess like as someone who appreciates and didn't know all of the, the, the color of this detail that you're adding to this discussion right now, like, is this in your view, what we're seeing now with Trump? Is this that history has a way of repeating itself for, you know, rhyming? Um, or is this like that there's something about human nature that if you give people enough power that this kind of thing will just eventually pop up, right? Like, in, like I'm kind of answering my own question where it's like in any society where there is an ability to pull the level levers and push the buttons and kind of twirl the little twirly gigs in order to get what you want, it doesn't matter how much you try to establish a rule of order and the rule of law and norms and policies and those things that there will always be people who basically live to take advantage of those things to further themselves and their interests because they enjoy it and not for really any noble reason even if that noble reason happens to be evil not for some grand scheme just because they enjoy doing it i think that that's kind of what i'm getting is you know i was going to ask a question but i ended up just answering it myself no, and you're and you're absolutely right. And I'm actually about to draw a line directly from Roy Cohn to Donald Trump. There's a little bit more history here. So, I mean, Roy Cohn, he had just an absolutely fascinating life. He he was just always looking for his next scam. His great uncle was the owner of Lionel Trains. You know, like back in the 50s, toy trains were like the thing, right? Like every little boy, not every still kid. The thing. Uh, not really. <laughs> Actually, so, it's funny because toy trains are actually still kind of a big thing. But yeah, no, they're fun. I mean, actually, my kids have tons of train, tons of trains, <laughs> Brio, but, you know, wooden trains. But the Lionel train. So he somehow managed like a leverage takeover of that company, completely ran it into the ground. Right. He got indicted on various fraud charges. At one point, he faced 38 years in jail. And, you know, people around him commented he seemed to enjoy it. He seemed to like it. He seemed to he's it, someone said he seemed to be the only guy who ever enjoyed being indicted again does that sound like anybody you know 
Yeah, it definitely does. Donald Trump, man. And he would wrap himself in the flag. He was he was this incredible orator like all of these guys. You know, he would he would get up in front of a jury and say, I love the United States of America. There was I would never do anything to harm the United States of America. Remember that picture of Trump literally hugging a flag like a five year old child with that shit eating grin on his face, hugging the flag. This is what we're talking about. I mean, so the press loved to cover him. He was shocking. He was compelling. He learned how to get on the side of 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 you know the news media and get them to report on him here's something really notable and i want to draw this line i feel a little bit like glenn beck like drawing lines between the mob and trump and roy Cohn. but these lines exist so roy Cohn was literally the lawyer for john Gotti and the uh, organized crime group in new york la casa nostra they owned new york in the 1970s i mean these guys they ran they like ran construction companies they ran concrete they they were they had their hands in in you know the coffers of politicians they had policemen paid off they were all over the place so john Gotti basically walked up to a guy in a bar shot him in the head in front of all these witnesses and you know he hired roy Cohn. roy Cohn got john Gotti off with like two years in jail two years instead of life in prison and now he was lawyer to the mob so roy Cohn, he had no scruples he didn't care now he's involved in some of the biggest money businesses in new york and lo and behold who is involved in real estate in the in the in New York City in the 1970s? But Fred Trump and Donald Trump, right? Who's a young man at this point? And do you know like the first big sort of lawsuit that Trump was involved in? Do you know a little bit about it? I think it had to do with racial discrimination of his dad's buildings ding, ding, and who ding, would ding, ding, yeah ding, ding, who they wouldn't ding. wouldn't rent to. Okay, so and Trump's been like, my dad wasn't a racist. There's pictures of Fred Trump in like a KKK hood. So yes, he was racist. Okay, that's we'll just we'll just put it there. He's definitely racist. They so the just this wasn't just like some low level thing. This was the Justice Department, right under Nixon, went after Trump Trump's uh, apartment buildings because they would not rent to African Americans, and they went so far as to send in undercover folks. So some white undercover folks, some black undercover folks, and sure enough, the white people go. In there. Yeah, we got plenty of apartments. The black people go in there. Sorry, we're all filled up. And so the case was pretty much open and shut. And Donald Trump went around New York trying to find someone to represent him. And all, you know, the folks he talked to were like, dude, this is a lost cause. Just settle. Just settle. Just settle. I mean, you guys are obviously doing this. Finally, he found Roy Cohn. And Roy Cohn was like, oh, yeah, I'll definitely take the case. The first thing they did was sue, countersue the Justice Department for $100 million, which in the 1970s, I mean, that's an insane amount of money, right? Like $100 million claiming bias, claiming, you know, that the Justice Department was being completely unfair. They're being completely <laughs> unfair going after my business. It's the same, Brandon, it's the same shit. He's been doing the same shit his whole life. It's crazy. And so, no, they didn't win that suit. The suit was dismissed. I'm but, shocked. What they were able to do, just like they've been able to do with regard to voter fraud, is inject this idea into a whole lot of people's minds that there might be something to it. Right. Like it's in the courts like he's, he wouldn't bring it to the court. people think once something's in a courtroom, like it has some weight to it. Right. Like we're trained to believe that it's almost people it's, think it's, that an affidavit is like an irrefutable fact when again, it really means <laughs> I wrote this down. <laughs> this is what I think. Yeah. Yeah. I swear that this is what I think. Yeah. You can think whatever you want. Right. So, so, okay. That, so that's the line between, you know, Roy Cohn, 
the mafia, now Donald Trump. Donald Trump found a winner. He and Roy Cohn become great friends. I mean, both these guys were into these fancy dinner parties, you know, hanging out, you know, hobnobbing with everybody. I really like to use that term, apparently hobnobbing. I used it in the last <laughs> episode, too, you know, and, and getting getting these deals done. And Roy Cohn had a couple of things to teach Donald Trump. Here's the things he taught him. Don't leave a paper trail. Don't keep a calendar. Don't do things in writing. And if people start to get onto you, start ratting other people out. Does this sound familiar to you, Brandon? Yeah. I mean, it sounds super, super familiar. Oh my God. It's crazy. Okay. So now we can like fast forward and I'm almost done with this little story. It actually ends very sadly for Roy Cohn. He's a fascinating character, but definitely not a good guy. Um, so Roy Cohn represents Donald Trump in the construction of Trump Tower, which did you know this Trump Tower was constructed upon land that had like an elderly building that needed to be torn down before Trump could build his like magnum opus of of his development. The Trump Tower that has his like that's where he has his loft with his golden toilet and his three floor penthouse thing that he, that he loves to brag about. So they hired hundreds of illegal Polish immigrants to tear down the existing building and then they got sent back to Poland and they never got paid. How do you feel about that? Wow. <laughs> it's, just, it's totally crazy. And it's all real. It's totally 100% real. Here's the other thing that's crazy. In those days in New York, most buildings were being made out of steel because the mob ran the concrete business. And like you couldn't really get the mob to do anything unless you paid them all these kickbacks. It was like incredibly expensive to get anything done with concrete. Trump Tower built 100% out of concrete. <laughs> not shocking just, so okay i'm gonna i'm gonna speed this up a little bit so this this relationship between roy Cohn and donald trump finally soured and this is a warning not only to donald trump but to those around him donald trump will jettison you as soon as you fall right donald trump loves the winners he's a winner but once you're a loser trump is done with you and roy Cohn was finally disbarred at the end of his career he was stealing from clients he was defrauding them one of the big cases was uh, a wine distributor who was supposedly his friend uh, who was elderly and had a stroke he was like mentally incapacitated roy Cohn had him scribble some document that signed over his whole estate to him and the signature i saw a picture of it literally looked like it was like five or six scratches done over and over again it, there was nothing resembling an alphabetic letter in it whatsoever it was like absolute fraud absolute fraud so Roy so, so the guy that said that don't leave a paper trail and if people get on you rat them out you're telling me that he was an unscrupulous person who manipulated people and did anything that he could do to get his way that's right he did and he did and he finally and he finally it finally got it caught up with him decades after like oh after so much time it finally caught up with him right so i'm trying to again i'm thinking about history rhyming think about people who kind of you know sound familiar to the same way this guy operates and kind of hoping maybe in the future we can look forward to the same thing and i hope so i mean the the other part i just have to to, to kind of round out the story the sad part of this is roy Cohn was one of the early folks to pass away from aids right before there were really good treatments for it he denied of course his homosexuality his whole life and he denied that he was ill with aids he said he was being treated for liver cancer or something like that towards the end of his life but he actually got into the nih he used his his uh string pulling you know uh proclivities to get in there and i wonder if he didn't see anthony fauci who was probably there you know and he he was able to get on some of the early versions of antiretroviral medications like azt but it didn't work and and he was very sick and 
it was actually kind of sad at the end of at the end of his life. He used to throw these incredibly fancy dinner parties and all the, you know, Donald Trump would be there and all the big wigs of the city and the mayor. He threw one of these parties and literally no one showed up after he was disbarred and it came out that he was sick and dying from AIDS. He died alone, man. He died alone, sad and ill. And this is the ghost of Christmas past visiting upon you, Donald Trump. So if you I don't a, change your ways. <laughs> I have a question or, or a comment slash question. I don't know. But just trying to think about it as I'm listening to this story, listening to all the awful things that this person did and how they operated. And at the very end, you bring it full circle and, and you know, humanizing this person that up until yeah. this point had no empathy for at all. And just thinking about, you know, we can all maybe relate to wanting to throw a party and, and having people not show up or, you know, it's like a common trope that no one showed up at my birthday party, that kind of thing. Right. Exactly. And, and particularly with the, the stigma that went into people who were HIV positive and who had AIDS uh, at that time and, you know, people not understanding or, you know, again, kind of ostracizing people who had HIV or, or suffering from AIDS. And I guess what I'm trying to think about, and again, I don't know if it's a question or a comment, is how much empathy ought we have for folks who, during their entire life, knowingly, willingly operated in a manner that was, you know, amoral, antithetical to good sense, to caring about the people around them, and also recognizing that for as evil, as flawed as they may be, that they are still human. And, you know, how much empathy ought those figures deserve? And I guess maybe this hypothetical, let's say Trump is after he leaves office is, you know, prosecuted or becomes ill or, you know, name the thing that, that happens that, that, that he may, you know, find his downfall. Finally, I wonder how much empathy people will have for him given all of the horrible horrible things he's done like you know Donald Trump has eroded people's faith in democracy point blank period is there a point at which you just don't deserve empathy anymore and i i don't know the answer to that question it's probably bigger than this that this podcast can answer right that's just something i want people to think about it's just an it's something i i struggle with sometimes i'm thinking of these most evil horrible people in history I know. I love that comment, Brandon. Well, you know me and you've known me for a long time. And I, I just have trouble not being empathetic towards folks and and their story. I just find people very interesting. One way I think about it is Roy Cohn and Donald Trump engage in a form of tribalism, right? If you're in their tribe, if you're in their group, these are some of the kindest, you know, most loyal people that you'll find. But if you're on the wrong side of them, you're you're waste to them, right? You're not even human to them. And it's not something that just you know, Donald Trump and, and folks within his circle, by the way, Roger Stone popped up in in this circle as well, like all the time, like you read Roger Stone's. He's like popping up here and there all throughout this this entire story. And I, I don't know. I, I mean, yes, I think there there are folks who the line between right and wrong is somewhat blurred by their intense focus on what they view as being successful. And they're just willing to go further than other people with that. And perhaps, you know, they see us as weak for not doing that. But the way I see it is they're sociopathic. I mean, that's that's when I look at people like that. That's what I see. It's like, so you're willing to build a great building and like, you know, set you and, and your family and your friends up in this great building. And you're willing to like, 
shuttle hundreds of illegal pol- uh, I don't even call them illegal immigrants, but immigrants back to their home countries without paying them like that's OK to you. And it, it's 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 a form of carelessness. And um, yeah, th- I just I, don't, I think they're lacking. I think these people are lacking in something, well, but I don't think it means that we need to lack in empathy. Right. And I, the, the final thought I have about this is that hearing this story from you and, and kind of better understanding history and seeing where it kind of pops up in more recent history, right? That's why it's so important for people to have access to education because understanding people and understanding why things are the way they are and how people have operated and all that is very, very important so that we can build more resilient structures and be better people so that we don't make those same mistakes. That's why it's so important. One reason why anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And um, since I I quoted Peter Tosh earlier in a Bob Marley song, I think I need to quote Bob Marley now. If you would know your history, then you would know where you're coming from. I love it. I love it. I want you. Here's what I want. Here's what I want. I want you to recreate a song in the style of Bob Marley that oh sums up a topic that we talk about in a future episode. So that's my oh. challenge to you. Doesn't have to be oh, next episode, but awesome. at some point. Okay. Like we're going to be. Whoa. Right when you said that, too, I'm starting. My eyes are kind of tingling. My eyebrows seem to be growing. My nose hairs are tickling. What's going on here? I'm getting this like sort of urge to ask you to say something about the podcast. I don't know what it is. Your it's eyebrows weird. grow when you get the urge. To say- yeah. Well, I want you all to know that know. we appreciate you listening. And if you want to check out our show, you always can at RememberPolySci.com. That's RememberPolySci.com. You can find us on any podcatcher. If you want to give us a review, that would be rad. That's pretty much all i have for you uh yeah thank you for listening i've still not found a good way to get out of the show other than to say thank you and until next time i'm brandon you're alex peace thank you for telling me who i am that was an abrupt (laughs) ending so i'm just gonna keep this all in here bye bye